This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. The tshuva we're be discussing is Igris Moshe Yerdeh Chelak Aleph Simen Kuf Nun Tet. This is a tshuva from Dalad Adar Tashin Yud, so we're in 1950 still. Um, but to understand this tshuva, you have to pre- you have to read a tshuva from um, 5689, uh, uh, 21 years earlier, which was Moshe wrote while he was still in Lubin. Um, in general, uh, you know, I always contend that. Uh, Rav Moshe is somebody whose uh, lumdish patterns, halachic positions, are often set early. Uh, in his early tshuva, uh, are, um, almost never, uh, I don't know if there's any case where he retracted a tshuva uh, from Luban. Um, and the, he also has a masorah from his father that I think uh, he holds pretty much absolutely. Uh, happy to hear if anybody has a correction to that. And in 5689 in Luban, uh, he wrote a tshuva to uh, Rabbi Trebnik, uh, who's still in Europe at that time also. And the question, the question was, If you have a convert who did not uh, sincerely accept the, the yoke of the mitzvot, um, can they be a ger regardless? This is a controversy that reverberates uh, through the past, um, at least through the past uh, century, um, whether Kabbalah's mitzvot uh, by the ger is ma'akev or not. Uh, famously, maybe the Ritva holds not. Famously, the Rav uh, insisted that it, even if you didn't mention it as a detail of the of the gear, it's the basis of the whole gear. So you can't you can't have anything. Um, and I think that position is largely dominant. Um, but how you implement Kabbalah's mitzvahs, how you know about Kabbalah's mitzvahs, that's a much more complicated question. We'll see if Moshe begin to get into it. But in fifty six eighty nine, he takes the right. He starts off by stating, "Pasha duvarosh eno gear klal af It's if there is no even halakhically constructive Kabbalah mitzvahs, then it's obvious that this is not a gear at all. Uh, he tells you, uh, His father passed this way um, before him, that that a gear which absolutely has no Kabbalah mitzvahs simply doesn't count halach at all. Because Kabbalah's Mitzvah really is a, a sine qua non. And it's not our issue to uh, you know, figure out how people read the, um, the, the, the line in the Shulchan Aruch otherwise. Um, but now Rav Moshe says, And even if the uh, convert says out loud they do accept the Mitzvah, Right. If we have a right, an absolute presumption that they don't mean it, then it doesn't count. So Rav Moshe knows, and this will become important in his later Shavuot, that uh, we have a general principle halacha, of course, uh, that if somebody states something out loud, then the presumption is that they meant it unless um, you have absolute evidence, right? that they, even if they tell you later, no, that's not what I meant, but you said it, so it's binding on you. Unless we have an absolute evidence, um, right, an onside, we serve as witnesses to what was in his heart. They didn't mean it. So Rav Moshe says that um, that in the case his father was talking about, presumably, there was an onside that the convert did not mean the Kabbalah Um and therefore he says it's true 
that uh, conversion for the sake of marriage works b'diavid, but that's because there's no anansadeh that they didn't accept the mitzvahs. Maybe they did accept the mitzvahs, even if they only did so um, for the sake of of uh, marriage. Right, and my and my father said this explicitly in that case. he says, "Any I don't understand why rabbis make this mistake. The Afli did who that even because even according to them, I'll call upon him. Why do they accept converts who don't do who don't accept the mitzvahs? Right, because nobody benefits. He doesn't think that. God wants it, he doesn't think the Jewish people want it. So he's against this kind of gerus. Now the reason this is important is because our Truva 5710 uh, is written by Rabbi Goldstein in Mountaindale, and as you learn from the end of the Truva that the case is of uh, a gerus that uh, Rav Moshe, you would expect based on the prior Truva, would not be enthusiastic about. It's a um, it's uh, a Jewish man who married a non-Jewish woman um, a while uh, many years ago, and now she's coming to convert. But in the actual case uh, here, uh, Rav Moshe is not opposed, he's ambivalent, and the ambivalence is expressed several times in the tshuva. Um, and you get the sense, reading his tshuva, that uh, first of all, there are, there are rabbis he respects, which maybe there weren't in Europe, uh, who are doing um, gear, uh, of, uh, you know, gear after intermarriage, um, he doesn't think the technical arguments against it are good. He's, he just said, just right, it's, it's true, it's only B'dievid, but B'dievid, B'dievid, sometimes it's Chal, and he understands there are good reasons to do it. Um, if people want it, it doesn't make any sense to say no uh, in terms of social policy. The, he acknowledges that the, the general rule that um, right, you're not allowed to marry uh, a non-Jewish woman if you, were prior, if you were previously accused of consorting with her doesn't apply if they were married previously because it's obvious that you're not uh, right, that we wouldn't have prevented you anyway um, and right, so he has another argument right, that, uh, which makes it depend on whether the husband themselves is the husband, husband himself is Sharon Mitzvot or the wife but usually it's, it's the woman who's the, who's the convert uh, in general, right? It's easier to convert. Um, you're more likely to have uh, female converts and Orthodox expected in because there's no need for circumcision. Um, he says, so if the husband is not from, so then how do you reasonably expect the the wife to be from? But he understands the response to that is maybe she's accepting everything she knows about, and that counts as kabbal mitzvos because he fully agrees that you don't the ger doesn't have to know everything, and if a ger makes an intellectual error. Um, then it counts. Uh, then it counts as well. Okay, so those are all the Rav Moshe's ambivalences uh, up front. Uh, we should understand that his argument can shift both ways because he doesn't have on this axis of Kabbalah and mitzvos as he's framing it. He doesn't have a category of suffix gear because if the because once you say it out loud, so then that creates a presumption that you mean it. The only way to break that presumption. Is by saying anan sade that you didn't mean it, which in which case you're not a you're not a convert. There isn't the category of suffix anan sade. Right, the whole point of anan sade is that it's unambiguous. Uh, so the Rav is in a position where they're either a vade uh, or not a vade giyaret, and that um, right that shapes. Uh, he doesn't really have intermediate categories on this axis. So as long as um, some of the converts accept the mitzvos, uh, accept the accept the mitzvos uh, sincerely, so then he acknowledges that the rabbis whom he respects are doing otherwise, have a reasonable claim that there's no anansade. 
Uh, he himself seems to think, right, you know, that exceptions are not enough to break an ansada. You need a, you need a, 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 I don't know what percentage you need. And he thinks the percentage is low, but he comes to terms with this, um, with the reasonableness of the opposing position in a way he had not in, uh, in Lubin, and therefore he answers this question from Rabbi Goldstein uh, very openly. I think this is one of the more, it feels loose, um, that you know that he, he doesn't feel. Uh, he doesn't feel that there's an obvious right or wrong answer aside from the narrow question he's being asked. Okay, so what is the narrow question he's being asked? Uh, the narrow question he's being asked is whether all the members of the Beit Din for Giyur have to be Talmidei Chachamim, or whether you can have um, one Talmid Chacham and the two others associated with him. So this is a general question in Beit Din. It comes up in the controversy about Smicha, among others. But the truth is that Rav Moshe's argument is not really about whether you can have one Talmud Chacham whose aura somehow spreads to the other two, which is the, the issue more about uh, in the uh, in the classical Smicha case, but about whether you need a Talmud Chacham on the Beitin at all. Um, because if you need, it, because Rav Moshe never cons- doesn't consider the possibility that one Talmud Chacham would provide the authority, uh, the formal authority needed, he thinks that if you need three Talmud Chachamim, great. And if you don't need three Talmud Chachamim, then all you need are informed lay people. And the one, uh, right, and you need a Talmud Chacham present, perhaps, to educate the lay people as to what is necessary. But I don't think, according to Moshe, you need even the one Talmud Chacham on the Beitin if you accept that argument. So this is the question. Uh, plainly, there had been a gear uh, in a case, right? Um, and now Rabbi Goldstein is asking him what, uh, what he should do with this gear. Um, and, Rav Moshe, and Rav Moshe addresses the narrow questions. Here's what he says. Um, the Gemara, Chinyavamos, Daf Mem Zayin, says that you need three Talmidi Chachamim to be modia mitzvot to the, um, to the potential convert, to inform them of their obligations. But the Ramam, he says, in Perikudal Meisir Be'alachavav, just says, Ushlosha Omdim Al Gabeim, that they're just, uh, you just need three, and you don't need Talmidi Chachamim. So we'll see that Rav Moshe is holding back a little bit of evidence, and that's why this this uh, truva is interesting in its rhetorical structure. Uh, he says, since none of the Nosei Kalim uh, on the Rambam say, hang on a sec, how can the Rambam leave out Talmud Chachamim? None of them insist on it. It seems that all of them uh, learn the Gemara's Lav Davka. Talmud Chachamim are a good idea, but unnecessary. Now he says, um, right, there are two other cases where the Gemara mentions Talmud Chachamim. One of them is in terms uh, that we give Talmud Chachamim go along with a husband who is bringing uh, his wife for the, for the Sota ritual, uh, because they have to inform him of uh, right, uh, that he's not that you know that our surim uh, to uh, to each other. And we also send two Talmud Chachamim according to the Gemara in Makos Taf Yud with the Goel Adam with the Blood Avenger uh, to prevent him from prematurely killing the um, the accidental homicide, or depending which the Gemara the deliberate homicide who hasn't yet been brought to Din. Um, so. In those cases also, um, he says there are pragmatic reasons that you would want Talmudic Chachamim. That's why the Gemara says it, because you want the people to listen to the Hasra and Talmudic Chachamim have greater authority. But it seems to him obvious that we don't actually need Talmudic Chachamim. This is his logic, um, right? Because if you, if you say it's because... Jim Kane, um, they just need to know how to give hasra, and they need to be able to speak with reasonable effectiveness. Pashut, he says, because it's obvious. The two witnesses, right, valid witnesses, who are nonetheless not learned, that they saw 
somebody uh, commit murder or violate Shabbat, and they give the person Asra, I know that if you do this, you will violate, right, you'll be violating ex, ex Isra in the Torah. Shechayev Misa, that such a person is liable for execution. Okay, so that's like an interesting claim, it's Pashut. Now, why is it Pashut? Um, you tell me, because otherwise the legal system will break down, but as everyone understands, Hasra per se uh, makes the legal, makes uh, our halachic criminal justice system ineffective as a deterrent. So it's an interesting moment when you know when somebody makes an argument misvara. Well, that can't possibly be true because then uh, the legal system wouldn't work when the legal system doesn't work pragmatically anyway. So I'm not entirely clear. It could just be that the Gemara never mentions it elsewhere. But what makes this striking is that Rav Moshe then says Umashikasa v'atosva sota al magab hasrab b'inyan talmud yichachamim ain eladina. Right, Atosus there actually ends up saying, right, Tosus on Sajid Azayim Vez says, Almud, the Gabay Asra, Bainan Talmud Chachamim, right? So it's clear, clear that we need Talmud Chachamim to give Asra. If you're not a Talmud Chacham, you can't give Asra. In fact, it's also hard because you might, uh, you might get the wrong Pasuk. Those are all sorts of controversies. But Tosus says it, um, and Rav Moshe just dismisses it as, um, right, he tells you in the next line, right, this is, this can't be said at all. Um, so it's really interesting to try and figure out why does he say, why is it so obvious to him? I said it could be pragmatically, and that's my instinct, is that Rav Moshe thinks that would be ridiculous to set up a legal system in which the only time you can execute somebody is if they uh, they, they commit their crime in front of But once you consider it, you know, it's not so hard. It's just like the notion of, wait, what parhesia means in front of the Rav Shabbat. There are other places where we require the presence of Tamir Chachamim in order to intensify guilt. Um, so really interesting to me about why uh, Rav Moshe says that this can't be said at all. And I want to emphasize, like, this is not one of the cases where there are immediate practical consequences, as we've seen in other places where Rav Moshe says, right, you can't say that because if you said that, there'll be lots of agunos, right? This is a theoretical thing. Uh, it's not related to the direct question about um, about Gerus. Um, right? But he says, the Lonitan is a cloud, but this position in theory seems inconceivable to him, even though it appears in Tosfos. Rather, right, the intent must be that we that we prefer Tamil Chachamim because they know how to give Hasra, because maybe right, if we just pick people randomly off the street, they might know, or right, our goal is to be effective, and the Goel Adam and the husband might not listen to people other than other than Tamil Chachamim, because maybe he thinks that they don't know how to give Hasra, that maybe he thinks they're wrong. Okay. So now Rav Moshe says, okay, so what do I have? I have... He thinks it's, there are three places in Shas where we require Tamil Chachamim, Gera, Sota, and Goel Adam. Um, by Goel Adam, the, um, even though Tosfo says that we require, that we maybe this means we require Tamil Chachamim, he thinks that's absurd. Um, he thinks the same is true of, uh, of Sota. And therefore, right, based on his argument that it's impossible there, and now by analogy, uh, right? So Geras is just like them, and it's also Lav Davka, even though by Geras there's a uh, there's a be- there's a better argument, right? It's a really interesting form of uh, uh, form of argument. So now he says, but now we have the counter evidence, further counter evidence. In the other cases, by by um, by Sota and Ritzicha, the Rambam seemingly you know like Tosfod actually doesn't right, where by by Gear he leaves it out. By those cases, he does put in Talmidei Chachamim. Um, so Rav Moshe says no. The reason for that is that those are situations appointed by a beitin, and therefore you can't be um, right. You can't you can't do it b'diavid. You have to appoint the best way of doing it. it doesn't mean that it's ma'akev. It just means that it's part of beitin's obligation 
um, to point it. But Geras, he says, so it turns out Rav Moshe has a prior commitment. Uh, and it's, right, when he says that it's impossible, right, that in terms of the other cases, he has a prior commitment because he thinks that criminal justice doesn't uh, wouldn't work. But we have to figure out because in the other cases, it seems he also has a prior commitment. He believes that conversion is not the responsibility of the Beit Din Shabir, um, but rather it's any you can come in front of anybody to Megayer. And the, what uh, compels him to say this textually, um, he doesn't ever claim that this is, um, you know, that he has some conceptual basis in Hilchus Geras, is that the Gemara says that during the time of, um, of Shlomo, the Beit Din would not, the official Beit Din would not accept Gir, but there were lots of ad hoc Batidin that would uh, do gear. Now, the way I think um, some people read this, I think probably most people read this, is that that gear was only uh, Bidi Evid. Um, and then, right, then I argue that um, it's a little odd. You know, the question is, do we, do we view this policy as a, uh, as a success or a failure if the central Batin doesn't do it and... Um, and therefore, the place is taken by all sorts of ad hoc batidin. I've argued this is analogous to contemporary cases where, uh, at least officially, uh, centralized batidin systems have high standards, whether they actually carry them out or not, especially in Israel, uh, is a much bigger issue. So what that ends up is a category of people who can't meet those standards, potential converts who can't meet those standards, um, so, but you don't actually keep them out of the community. All you do is they go to but they that don't meet your standards, and you have a category of you have a, you know, people who are stuck in limbo, um, right? Who you couldn't tell them that they're not converts, so they're chayiv and all mitzvahs, but you also don't accept them. And I don't see that as a policy success. But regardless, Rav Moshe, who doesn't address the, uh, uh, my policy issue, says that um, he doesn't he, right. He can't be chushed, uh Yisrael, of doing things that are uh, that are wrong. And you know, unless the Gemara explicitly accuses them of doing that, and therefore he thinks that these bateidin must have been halachically legitimate, and they can't have been tamid chachamim because tamid chachamim wouldn't have done a gear that is only b'diavid. So it must be that they were, um, as Ramam says, they were bateidin um, very explicitly of hediotos, and that proves that, as Rav Osha says in the end, that you can come in front of any three kosher to be Dayanim Jews and um, and Dugir. Um, so based on that prior position of Moshe then as he did by um, by according to Tosos and Sota and uh, you know, by rejecting Tosos and Sota and the uh, the Ramam's literal quote of the Gemara uh, by both Sota and Ritzicha now he turns to the issue that while the Shulchan Aruch quotes the Rambam as saying that for Gir you just need Three to be modim so you don't need three tamid chachamim. The Rama actually comments and puts in after the Shulchan says shlosha. The Rama puts in tamid chachamim. So that uh, right, so that suggests that um, that we really do uh, that. Rama is cholik on the mechaber, and that there's an Ashkenazi tradition against the Sephardi tradition, at least uh, right, because the the, um, the Rama is following is following the the rush and the tour. Uh, at least I think the, I think both. Um, so why don't we just say there's there's a um, why don't we say, why don't we say that, that there's a machloket and therefore we should certainly require a talmud So Rav says, but that can't be because of his because of his raya. Uh, 
And therefore he says, um, So because of his raya about Yimei David, David and Shlomo, uh, therefore we are compelled to say, that what the Ramah means is, All the Ramah is putting in is saying, look, I think that the Mechaber should have put it in because it's the Chachila. It doesn't mean it's um, it's B'diavid. So in the end, uh, Rav Moshe takes, and these positions will reverberate for him for years, he takes the position that you don't require a Talmud Chachamim for a gear. He does, um, as you know, other Chavot invalidate conservative rabbis, but he doesn't have standards among um, people he considers from for gear. Uh, and then we get into, right, but he says his father's position is that unless, that if there's an Anan Sade, that there's no Kabbalah Semitzvos, that the gear is not Chal. But he understands that lots of, um, that that rabbis have met people who are Mikal Mitzvos and therefore are not willing to say it's Anan Sade. And so he, end, right, he ends up saying this truva as well. Um, I am not, uh, well, actually, let's read, let's read a couple lines up. Uh, maybe the convert, the the woman in your case will accept the mitzvahs. So I'm saying nothing to you about this at all. Right, a really interesting end for Chuvah Rav Moshe. Uh, it's really up to you. Uh, I think there should be um, a study of how how often Rav Moshe says this to whom and about what. Because um, I know there are many rabbis in New York who accept the kind of convert that you're talking about. So to me to say that it's forbidden uh, for you to accept this convert is certainly to treat this person post facto as a convert. Uh, it's not clear what the question is being asked post facto, uh, whether Rabbi Goldstein is asking, do I need two others with me, or if he's dealing with a gear that's already happened, whether done by him or somebody else. I'm not going to tell you anything, Asr. But he says, look, if it were up to me, I wouldn't do this. As we saw in the Tshuva in Lubin. But again, I, I feel uncomfortable about this. Uh, but I won't tell you that it's forbidden. And you'll do according to your own understanding and according to the pressure on you. Right? So that's a really interesting uh, thing. Even though Rav Moshe and Lubin wrote very, very strongly, when he comes to America, he understands the pressure the communal rabbis are under. And I don't know what he would do if uh, another rabbi came to him, uh, let's say that the, the, the uh, you know, and asked him, "Am I allowed to marry the the daughter of this marriage?" I guess you know, twenty years later or whatever it is. Um, can I count the Can I count the son to minions? So other devotees suggest that it's a good idea to try and you know that uh, that if they're now from to take them back to mikveh, call it gear lechumra, call gear right because. Although again, Ramosha doesn't have that kind of suffix really. Um, but in the moment, he leaves it to the discretion of the Shul Rabbi. And then he adds one other interesting line. And you quoted something from the Achiezer, Rabbi Chaim Ozer. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, so that's really interesting. Rabbi Chaim Ozer, because right, already in 1950. Um, I don't know when the Achiezer uh, becomes available in America, or even when it's published for the first time. Uh, the Achiezer has a tshuva that becomes famous. It's not a chiddush, I don't think, but he formulates it very uh, well and strongly, that the fact that people don't keep the mitzvot doesn't mean they didn't accept the mitzvot, because you can accept the mitzvot uh, with intent to violate them. Right? You, can accept, you can accept something upon yourself and know that you won't live up to the standard. Now, how far the Achiezer 
would take this as um, right as a wholly separate shear. Um, but that position of the Achiezer is going to end up being the bulwark of lots of people who do conversions um, by saying that you know nobody nobody lives up to all Tariyag Mitzvot, so why should we accept Gerim too? So you can't bring any post facto evidence that would create Rav Moshe's Anansade. Um, right, Rav Moshe's Anansade basically is, right, how can we testify that converts don't accept the Mitzvot? Well, they don't keep them afterwards. So Rechaim Ozer is the right is a huge challenge to Rav Moshe's Anansade because now there's no absolute evidence. You'd have to interview the converts and find out that they didn't mean it at the time. Um, so Rav Moshe's, I haven't seen it yet, and so far as I can tell, although Rav Moshe does see uh, does quote um, Achiezer's on occasion in his later Chuvot, he never actually quotes this one. Uh, so I wonder whether. Um, I wonder you know, what his reaction to that uh, tshuva is, and I think that there, uh, again, there's room uh, for somebody to talk about the, I, I remember like, one of the most powerful lectures I ever heard was uh, Dr. Chaim Salvechik talking about how his father, the Rav, uh, only got a ritva uh, later in his, right, not when he was young, he got a ritva um, when he was already uh, um, in his after the right, 30s or 40s, and so the Ritva is never central to a shear. Um, so I think an interesting question about what Svarim Rav Moshe acquires for the first time um, in America, what Svarim he acquired for the first time after World War II, and the extent to which the um, seeing a new tshuva on an issue uh, which he had previously decided is capable of affecting his mind, uh, affecting his opinion or not. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.